The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome to the Radiate Wellness Podcast. I'm your host, Christy Clemens Hoffman. Each week we will discuss tools, tips, and ways to radiate your best life ever, interviewing practitioners, authors, and luminaries to help you on your path. Wellness, joy, peace, abundance. What do you want to radiate? Oh my goodness, I am so excited today. Today we're going to radiate light with Rena Kumara Singham, who has written Divine Consciousness, the secret story of James, the brother of Jesus, St. Paul, and the early Christian church. This is a fascinating read, and I am so excited by this guest. Hello, Rena. Hello, Christy. I love you. I am so excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. This is like a, a, a connection that needed to be made. It was amazing. That is wonderful. I'm so giddy. Um, I love your, I just have to say and acknowledge, I love your space there, the, the wallpaper with the book. <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, we call this our Akashic Library. Actually, it's not. <laughs> it's our dining room. <laughs> But um, yeah, the previous people who owned this house put this amazing wallpaper up and we thought, you know, it's so unique and so cool that, you know, we just kept it. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. And you've got your other books. Oh, if you're listening on audio only, you're missing out. Go over to YouTube. Uh, <laughs> and behind you, you've got your other books as well. So there's the Divine Consciousness. There's yes. also, let's pin this. You've got the Magdalene Lineage and That's right. Shrouded Truth. That's right. So the first book is Shrouded Truth. Um, then the second book, after that and that came out in 2018 mm -hmm. and the second book is um the magdalene lineage uh past life journeys into the sacred feminine mysteries and that basically brought up quite a lot of the teachings of mary magdalene that have been sort of suppressed and repressed um and then the third book is called Divine Consciousness. And this basically looks at the debate and how the story evolved from is the divine consciousness within ourselves or is it external in God and the Son of God? Right. So that's oh what my three books are about. 
and they're based on your work as a regressive hypnotherapist. Or is that how you define it? That's right. Oh, I call myself a regression therapist, but yeah, you know, close enough. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So using the power of hypnosis and past life regression to uncover deeper truths. That's exactly right. So, I mean, it's um, fascinating because I'm actually Malaysian and I grew up a Hindu. And I and Malaysia is predominantly a Muslim country. So um, before I started this, uh, the only thing I knew about Christianity, the only two things I knew about Christianity were Jesus died on the cross and Christmas. And Christmas was all about the presents. <laughs> <laughs> And so it was very fascinating to me because about 10 years ago, I moved to the UK because I got married to my husband. And um, I saw a client came to me for between lives regression. And as part of between lives regression, you know, we do a session where we take them back to a significant past life of theirs. And so when I took her back to a significant past life of hers, she then dropped into this past life where she... Uh, basically identified herself as James, the brother of Jesus. So here I am, not knowing anything about Christianity, <laughs> thinking, oh, Jesus has a brother? Okay, you know, <laughs> how fascinating. And so, you know, because she came to me for between lives, as a therapist, we are taught not to judge or not to, you know, project our own anything onto what the client is going through. So I sort of moved her through it and she came out of it. She goes, Oh, but isn't that interesting? Did Jesus have a brother? And I said, you know, I don't, I don't have an idea. And she said, you know, she had some, she read like in some place far, you know, a long time ago that he may have had. And that was it. That was the end of the conversation. And about um, four months after that, I had a call from um, a lovely lady from Denmark who, again, wanted to experience between live sessions. So she came to see me in the UK. And um, she, for her significant past life, she dropped into the life of Thomas, the you know disciple Thomas. That was really funny because I didn't know Jesus had a disciple Thomas. And when she came out of it, she didn't know Jesus had a disciple, Thomas. So the conversation went along the lines of, did Jesus have a disciple called Thomas? And we said, we don't know. And then we Googled it, and sure enough, there was this disciple, Thomas. So over the period of four years, I had eight different people who popped into, you know, the life, a significant life around Jesus. So we had Mary Magdalene. Um, we had Martha, who is the sister of Mary Magdalene. We had Tamar, who is the daughter of Mary Magdalene. We had St. Paul, um, James, um, and we had someone close to John the Baptist. And then we had what I call the linchpin, <clears throat> pardon me, um, story. And what I thought was so fascinating about all these stories is that they all these people sort of popped up randomly, either as my clients or my students in the training from different parts of the world. And the narrative or the, the, the hook, the, the main event, which is the crucifixion, 
all their accounts of the crucifixion is very different from the mainstream narrative, which is, did Jesus die on the cross? <clears throat> mm-hmm. And the lynch, so for me, my lynchpin client was someone who didn't have a big name in the, the you know, around Jesus. Um, but she, she, and she didn't know much about Christianity, but her story confirmed the accounts that all the others were giving me, if that made any sense. And so this linchpin was kind of like the missing link that tied everything together. Yes, she confirmed everything and tied everything together, but hers was a short regression as well. And, you know, there wasn't even a name. She, you know, I mean, she gave a name, but it's not a name that's very well known at all. But it's sort of, but that's what I really liked about it, you know, because you couldn't read about this person anywhere. And yet her story, you know, matched the accounts of everyone else. And sort of for me, then I felt, okay, I think there's something real here. And um, I contacted all of them again, and I said, "Would you mind go, uh, if I, if you know, if I could write a book about this, if I could do deeper regressions with all of you?" So they were very sweet, and they all said yes, all eight of them, and that's how Shrouded Truth came about, the first book. Now, Past Shrouded Life. Truth. Does this have to do with the Shroud of Turin? Do you know what? Uh, no, actually, when when the name came about, it didn't have you know it it like it, it, the title came when my friend and I sort of sat over Skype with a glass of wine each, trying you know brainstorming a name, sure. and and we both really liked Shrouded Truth, and it was after that that I realized that there was the Shroud of Turin as well, so. No, but the meaning of the name came where where we thought, because, you know, when I wrote all these books, I didn't want it to be offensive to anybody because, you know, there are so many people out there who get a lot of comfort from Christianity. And, and you know, um, and I think that's a really important thing. But I also felt like there is these, these light seeds of information that that have been shrouded over. You know what I mean? Right. And absolutely. yeah, and, and that's why we called it Shrouded Truth. So it's about lifting the, the shroud off and allowing these light seeds to bloom. Wonderful. Wonderful. Yeah. You know, this the story of the Bible is so very, very old and has been like a game of telephone. I don't know if you play yes. that up in the UK. Yes. Told and yes. retold and retold and retold. Sometimes it's good to get to the truth. Yeah. Yes. Actually, in, with my research, because what I did was I got all everyone's accounts first and only then did I do the research because I didn't want to, you know, lead anyone on. I didn't want any sort of, um, uh, I didn't want to pollute as it were the accounts that were coming through. I wanted to keep it as pure as possible. But when I was doing my research as well, I realized that what came out with all these, you know, a lot of these um, theologists were saying is that the the Gospels that are in the Bible were actually written uh, maybe 100, 200 years after the death of Jesus. Exactly. 
right? So we don't, the earliest gospel that was written was actually the gospel of Thomas, which is not in the Bible, but it's, you know, part of the Nag Hammadi. So it's fascinating how, like you say, you know, it's the retelling and the retelling and the retelling and then, you know, yeah. Right. And then eventually it gets written down and then it gets exactly. edited. That's right. Through councils. That's right. You know, the Council of Nicaea. Yeah, they, they are the ones who decided. And there is this amazing, um, apparently there is this um, person who was invited to the Council of Nicaea called Ori. Okay. His name is spelled O-R-I-G-E-N. So I'm going to pronounce it as Origen. Sure. Um, and he actually wanted to introduce the doctrine of reincarnation into the Bible. Really? But, yes. Okay. Wow. Yes. But it was thrown out of the council because um, what they wanted to show was, and this came out in, in the divine consciousness, what they wanted to show was how Jesus is a divine being as in the son of God you know, and, and for, for worshiping reasons, it's very difficult to then say we can all reincarnate as part of that philosophy that they were trying to promote and propagate. So that doctrine was actually thrown out. But if you look at the Gnostics, um, which the Magdalene lineage was, you know, is the basis of, of Gnosticism, all her her teachings became the basis of Gnosticism. They believe in reincarnation as well. So, yeah. Well, I've seen in uh, many of my QHHT sessions, people who have been with Jesus, walked with Jesus, Mary Magdalene um, teachings. One client uh, was a student of Jesus's and reported that Jesus was teaching them energy healing techniques. Oh, yes. And uh, they were doing levitation and they were doing instantaneous healings and many things. It was fascinating. So, and I would just want to urge if there's anyone who's listening to this podcast who feels their beliefs are challenged in any way, just to read Rena's book, Divine Consciousness, and some of the other books, draw your own conclusions, do a little bit of, of research. Our intent is not to offend or challenge or any of that. Um, so let's focus on this book, Divine Consciousness, the secret story of James, the brother of Jesus, St. Paul, and the early Christian church. And of course, um, we know the story of Mary and Joseph. They married and Jesus, of course, would, would be the firstborn, you could call it. And then of course, you could go along and have other children. Right? So, so he does have at least one brother is were there in your research were there more than one brother yes there was actually uh two brothers and a sister in my research mm -hmm. but with divine consciousness we just focused uh predominantly on james mm -hmm. the brother of jesus um you know uh, i think james was the third the third boy in the family so the second brother and we also focused on St. Paul the Evangelist because as part of the accounts, what actually came through is that contrary to, you know, what we understand in the mainstream narrative, Jesus, when he passed away, actually passed the mantle of his church to his brother, James, the brother of Jesus. <clears throat> Sorry. 
And um, it's also fascinating because the reason why I, I, I wrote this book is because when I was when I was writing Shrouded Truth, I realized that there were three different branches of teachings that emerged after Jesus had passed away. You know, the first one is Mary Magdalene. So, you know, that's all part of the Magdalene lineage. But in this book, Divine Consciousness, it was about, um, you know, you had James, who also was teaching a different sort of teaching, and St. Paul the Evangelist, who was teaching a, a completely different um, type of teaching with a completely different story. Now, I must say that, and, and I do admire St. Paul the Evangelist, because it is through his untiring efforts, I always say this, you know, we now know Christianity, you know, the Christianity that we know now basically was born from his untiring efforts. And I would be very, very skeptical um, if he hadn't done what he had done. I think very few of us would actually know Jesus or know of Jesus. Do you know what I mean? Right. Yes. So I, yeah, so I actually um, admire Paul a lot for that. But the, the, but he did diverge quite a lot from the original teachings of Jesus. And this is where we talk about the divine consciousness, because Jesus was talking a lot about how we ourselves are divine. And because we ourselves are divine, we can create the world we want to create, but everything comes with very focused and very clear intention. And, you know, which is something that he practiced and something that quite a lot of other people around him practiced as well. And he kept focusing on that, that we are divine, therefore we didn't need, you know, because um, Jesus, when he was born, he wasn't a Christian. He was a Jew, right? I mean, he was in, in ancient Judea. And so, there, you know, the, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees had a lot of control over the Jewish people. Right. And, and, you know, then you had the Romans who controlled as well, the you know, ancient Judea. So there was a lot of control and a lot of pressure, external pressure for the Jewish people. And here was Jesus coming along saying, you know, you are divine in your own being. You are divine in your own right. So, you know, you can if you, so he's a, he had a very, very empowering message. And a lot of that message was actually based on. Um, what we call the what what I refer to as the Judeo-Christian teachings, right. which basically came from the Essenes. So Jesus, you know, was a Jew, but he was a practicing Essene as well. And um, so a lot of their teachings have now, in 1940s, emerged through the Dead Sea Scrolls. And so when he passed the mantle of his teachings on, he passed it to James, his brother to basically promote this thought of, you know, divine consciousness, that every single person is divine, whether you're male or whether you're female, you know, it doesn't matter where in the hierarchy you are, we are all divine, we are all equal in, the, in our differences and, and, and in the being that we are. <clears throat> but then you had St. Paul, the evangelist, and when Jesus, when he thought Jesus had died, 
he volunteered to go into the hardest place on earth at that time to take Jesus's teachings. Now, Jesus really inspired St. Paul. And what he loved about Jesus's teachings was about love and compassion and, and, you know, just sort of spreading love to everyone. When he went to Rome to teach this, um, it was very difficult for a few reasons. The first reason is Romans occupied Judea. So if he went in and said, oh, hello, you know, I know someone who is from Judea who taught love, you know, he would either be laughed at or he would be kicked out of Rome. The second reason why it was so difficult for him to, to spread the teachings in Rome is because they had a very strong belief system in Roman that the Romans had of uh, poly, polytheism. So they believed in many deities, but they also believed that these many deities are quite vengeful and wrathful. So if they didn't do something and sacrifice to the deities, whether it's, you know, a little bit of food or, or, or women or, or whatever, you know, then the deities would wreak havoc on their lives. Um, but if they did something that made the deities happy, then they would get the blessing. So he couldn't possibly take Jesus's teachings of, you know, divine consciousness, you know, love and compassion from within to Rome. So what he did to make his story relevant and to bring the teachings relevant was he went, okay, I know a deity. I know the son of God. So he elevated Jesus's, you know, status to the son of God, making him on par with all the deities. But not only that, he said, I know a son of God who sacrificed himself for you because he loves you. And it was only by sort of twisting and changing the story that way, people in Rome heard him. And so, and, and, uh, and it was quite a dangerous place for him to, to even, even with the story that's a bit twisted, um, you know, it was quite dangerous because a lot of the early practicing Christians ended up in the arena and they were tortured, you know, because, right, because the, the people who were so ingrained in the, in, the, in the polytheistic religions, you know, if there was drought or, or something or something awful or if they lost a war that happened, they would blame it on the, Christ, the early Christians and then they would kill the early Christians because their gods were very angry, right? So their gods were not giving them the blessing. But it was only when... Um, uh, uh, in in 300-ish AD, when Emperor Constantine sort of embraced Christianity, it was only then when when it was okay to be a, a, a practicing Christian. And then it just evolved because it got entrenched in the political system. The senators were all Christians and they were using it for different reasons, you know, and then it just grew and it became what it is now <clears throat> however yes. however okay yes sorry <laughs> however um what happened with james james's branch of teachings is that he it was very interesting because when when jesus 
died and passed the mantle on to James. James actually started teaching first in in the area that's now known as Britain, because this is where he was staying initially when Jesus, you know, died. And he wanted to, you know, he he's so sweet in the regressions. You know, he says, I'm a businessman. I'm not a teacher. I don't, you know, I don't have what Jesus has, right? He's so cute. And <laughs> so he... <laughs> So he tried it out initially to, you know, a, a group of, um, you know, people from ancient Judea who were mining in Cornwall. They were mining tin in Cornwall. So he started to teach them. And then he's, and then the local people sort of um, were quite interested. And it, it was very integrated. So he started to, you know, pass the teachings on to the local people. But it was, um, I think, a few years um, he was called to ancient Judea because the, the main church was being, was fractured. And the reason why it was fractured was because, you know, they had all the Judeo-Christians there, but you had some Judeo-Christians who, who, who wanted to really embrace the law, the ancient Jewish law. And so they were sort of more on the Pharisee side. And then you had the, the zealots who just wanted to get rid of the Romans. So you had the fiery, you know, and then you had some of the Paul's group, the Gentile Christians coming in as well. So it was a very fractured place. And his job was to come back and mediate and sort of bring it all back to oneness. But it was very difficult as you know, you can imagine. Um, and he did that by, you know, passing on Jesus's teachings. But not only that, he became the embodiment of the teachings, which is how he got the, the name, you know, um, James the Just or James the Righteous, because he became the example. Um, but unfortunately, things didn't go too well for him, because I think when he was 60, he, he was killed. And then a few years after that, uh, Rome basically just came and occupied all of ancient Judea. So all the Judeo-Christians, their temple was um, was destroyed and they scattered, they scattered down, you know, into the Arab world. Did you know that Radiate Wellness has a subscription-based premium content Facebook group? Think of it like the premium version of this free podcast. In this premium Facebook group, you can find great content like replays of online classes, meditations on angels, chakras, mindfulness, and more, guest speakers, mini classes, polls, plus you'll be the first to know of guests that we have scheduled for the podcast and can submit questions for them. You get all of this great content for one low monthly price and the first month is half off. You can subscribe by going to radiatewellnesscommunity.com slash shop. Click the subscriptions button and you're in. Also, while I have your attention, wherever you're listening to this free podcast, if you could just do us a couple of favors, please. One is go to hit the subscribe or follow button. Then you'll be notified of all of the episodes we have coming out each week. Also, please rate and review. It sounds really simple, but it helps us to grow our audience when people are looking for great podcasts. 
And when we grow our audience, we can do bigger and better things and bring you even more great guests. So please do those couple of things, and that will help us grow this audience and this podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Okay, so the Judeo-Christians then scattered into the outer world. And so really, you know, the this shift and this kind of twisting and tweaking the message so that it's more palatable, this is a radical idea. Yes, so it is. It is, because it fundamentally changed the teachings. It totally did, yes. So this is how it went from Jesus, who was teaching, you know, from if you you know, from the accounts of James and Mary Magdalene, Jesus was always teaching about going within and, you know, we are all divine beings and come from within out and serve from within out. And because if we're all divine, then, you know, there's love for everyone. Two, Jesus is the son of God. So the divine is outside. And we then have to follow his teachings to go to you know, heaven or... Oh my goodness. Yeah. I did a reading yesterday for a client and one of her guides is Solomon, King Solomon from the Bible. Oh, wow. I, mm. Yeah, I love that guy. And he, he told her that she's got all of these spiritual qualities, these spiritual healing um, energies. And he said, but understand you are no more, no less special than anyone else everyone has these capabilities. And he said, you know, what made Jesus special and what we know about him is that he actually said, I am one with God. I am part of God. That's the only thing that made him special because we all have that. And so I thought that was a very interesting commentary. Exactly. Yes. But I, I, I think it's a little more than that. I think it, it, he because he because he totally embodied his divinity and he totally saw the divine in everyone. He yes. lived with with a different intention. Yes. You know, he he moves with a different intention and a different motivation and he was trying to get all the people who were listening to him to move with that intention, with that motivation. And that is what makes him special, I think. And for me, as someone who didn't know anything about Christianity, and I found this out, I actually found that really empowering because then I I didn't feel like, oh, okay, so these are like special souls that, you know, uh, I can, you know, I can't be like these special souls, but I can, do you know what I mean? It's like, I can, I can be like that because I'm just as special as they are as long as I put into practice this living with you know total focus and and a completely different intention yeah oh I love that I love that and this really does in a way um turn Christianity not on its head but sideways a little bit a little bit yeah. yeah, deepens it in so many ways, right? It does, like, yeah. Having an intercessor, you know, it shifts that focus to us, right? We are neither no more nor no, no less special than anyone else. We all have this ability. And so um, I love how this concept is validated in your work. 
and in your sessions with your clients. Um, I would like to shift a little bit and talk about your work with Magdalene. She throughout this work, throughout your book, and of course you literally wrote a book on Magdalene. Yes, okay. so how does how does Mary Magdalene show up in this book? So Mary Magdalene uh, was someone I'd regressed. Uh, okay, so it was one of my students in um, the Past Life Regression Academy. I was sort of supervising her work because she wanted to be a regression therapist, and she then came to me and said, and she knew that you know I was sort of. I told them a little bit about these people that had come through me for this book. And she said that Mary Magdalene had come to her and I went, Oh, okay. And she asked if I was, if I wanted to regress her. So I meditated on it and there was a huge resounding yes. And I said, okay, I'm going to regress Mary Magdalene. Um, This person who said she's Mary Magdalene. And um, it was also very interesting because this person knew barely anything about Mary Magdalene as well. So her story, I really love because she is, oh, you know, she, 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 she did things in, a, in an amazing way. And she, was, she is an amazing soul, but she's so relatable as well. She is very, yeah. Very relatable, yeah. And I think we can, like, I certainly saw parts of myself in her story, you know, as, as she was talking about it. But so it all started, um, the session went back to when she was about six years old and she was very connected to the earth, to the divine mother, to Sophia and also energy, but she didn't verbalize it in this way, right? She, you know, she just had a vision and she worked with the earth and, you know, it was very sweet, you know? Um, and I think she was some, somewhere in her preteens or her teens when um, Jesus came to visit her house and her parents with his mother or father. And she knew at once, like she, they, their eyes locked and there was a connection. And, you know, she knew that, that this person was quite special to her. It was almost like a soul recognition, right? But contrary to what's out there in the mainstream narrative, Mary Magdalene was actually, was actually born to quite a prominent um, merchant in ancient Judea. And the, the society in those days, if you are that prominent, you know, you marry off your, your, your daughters for some gain, whether it's more money, more influence, more power. And the lady, you know, the girl doesn't have much of a say. And also you need to get the blessings of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So long story short, she got actually married off to another very prominent person and who is a merchant as well. Now, this prominent merchant it was very abusive towards her. He was physically abusive, he was mentally abusive, and he was quite emotionally abusive. And, um, and of course, she was totally entrenched in the ancient Judea culture where, you know, it was a very patriarchal culture where, you know, men were sort of seen to be better than, and, and women were possessions of, of men. And... Um, 
So after a particularly quite horrific abuse, her husband sort of travels quite a lot to do his merchanting. Um, her brother um, came to her and said, okay, you know, there is this person teaching, come, let's go see him. And so she went, and of course it was Jesus. And the minute she met him, there was an instant connection. I mean, when when she was delivering her accounts, I, you know, I just wish that, I could have captured the energy in the room. You know, it was just electric when she came to that part. And, you know, I had all goosies and everything. And there was a very sweet interaction between them. And, but she, um, she went back home to, and her husband had found out and sort of abused her for it and basically forbade her to ever going out and listening to this person because Jesus was an Essene. And he was teaching something that was radical and that was something that was deemed to be illegal, right? Because he was saying, you are divine. You don't need the Pharisees. You know, you don't have to, you come with love and compassion, you know, and then the tax people come through and take all your money. And, you know, so he was fighting the, the, the establishment, right? The established system. So he forbade her to go. But she always went. She always managed to find a way to go until she um, was so badly beaten when her husband found out that she left him. You know, she was nearly on the verge of physical death and she left him um, to go. And because she didn't come back, he, it was a big loss of face for him right? He was a little bit, you know, egotistical, egomaniacal. He may even have been a little bit narcissistic, but that wasn't, um, that was, that's just my opinion. It didn't come out through the regression. But so what he did was he then, you know, she lost everything. She lost her standing. She, he basically cut her off, you know, lost her standing. And then to save his own face, he said, oh, she's like, she's a whore. She's sleeping around with everyone. Right. And so he, he, he can't possibly have her. She's not chaste enough, not righteous enough for him. Right. 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 And then of course we've got to the, when, well, I think I'm jumping ahead of myself. Okay. Yeah. Oh, go on. Yes. No, just go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. Okay. And then she, and then there was this sweet, and then she was healing, you know, so it was um, mother Mary who was helping with the healing because you know, she totally embarrassed her family as well. So her father was humiliated and so forbade the mother to help her out. And so, you know, she was basically cut off from her mom and dad, but her siblings were quite supportive of her. And um, so she was taken care of by Mary Magdalene, uh, sorry, not Mary Magdalene, Mother Mary and Jesus and, you know, Jesus's family. And then they started to talk and there was this amazing, sweet connection and she was so coy about it, you know, and, you know, the kiss was all, you know, it was, it, she was just, it was just a very, very sweet romantic tale. And then, um, but through it all, he said to her, you have so much light within you. It's time to let your light shine through. And so, you know, he just kept encouraging her because she would share her beliefs and, you know, the experiences with the energy and, 
and she would call it, you know, the, the blue, you know, there was a cornflower blue energy and she would talk to him about it and the earth and everything. And he was very sweet and he kept bringing that out, you know, and, and then they decided to get married, but they call it wasn't a marriage um, in the normal way that the Judeas did it. It was called Heros Gemos. And she described it, and it was almost like a union of the soul. So it wasn't just a physical union. It was an energetic union of the soul where even though they both kept some of their spirit as individuals, they're like some of their spirit fused together and they became one and then they acted as one. And oh, it was, it's so magical the way she described it. Well, you know, I had a client who was a witness to that. Right. And in his, one of his significant past lifetimes and described almost exactly what you're talking about. Really? Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I love the validation and the confirmation. Oh, yes, yes. And I think to do this work, we, you know, we need to be grounded with it, you know, which is why with all my books, I went with the data and I got all the, the, the research to see if anything can be backed up. So thank you for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, and, and so then, um, because he was encouraging her to, to, to teach, she then started to teach about divine, of sacred feminine mysteries. And she was teaching through her doing, through her being, and also to women who would come to her. So for example, in the ancient Judea world, what she was saying is um, menstruation, for example, is seen to be something dirty when someone goes through it. And then you sort of, you know, push, like they, they sort of don't do anything for about five days until they're clean and only then they can go back to doing their normal things and go back to the temples. Whereas she then started to realize and teach that during the time of menstruation, a woman is at her most intuitive and most connected with the earth. So people who, you know, when she was with her, her lady, um, you know, the, the ladies around her, when they were menstruating, they would go through quite a lot of different, um, sacred ceremonies and they would talk about their intuition so it was more of a bonding and an acceptance of their menstruation as opposed to the oh you're dirty you know which is the rejection of the menstruation and then um she uh, she didn't go into much detail about she was too coy i think too shy to go about um how uh jesus and her had a physical relationship but it was also quite beautiful because she said that when they have, um, when they were ready for a child, again, everything is with intention. They would bring the child in. They would call a child to come forth energetically, you know, and every time they had a physical relationship with the intent of having this child, they would put the same intent out. And when the child you know, when they conceived, again, everything was done with intention, with, with talking, with energetic connection with the child. And even the birth was so beautiful. And she was talking about how easy it was, you know, with the birthing practice she was teaching. 
through the sacred feminine mysteries, as opposed to the duty-bound birth that she had had with her, you know, the, the previous husband. So it was just a beautiful juxtaposition between, you know, the like existing in the patriarchal world versus really embodying the sacred feminine side of herself. But not only that, it's like Jesus was also the perfect balance of sacred masculine and divine feminine. And so, you know, and so together, you know, they were like whole within themselves. Eventually, you know, Mary Magdalene was whole and healed, but they fused together with her being the perfect divine feminine embodiment and Jesus being the perfect sacred masculine embodiment. And they tried to teach this to everyone around them. It was wonderful. Mm. I had another client who went to a lifetime as one of the women in Mary Magdalene's mystery school. Really? Yeah. How fascinating. It was very fascinating. And they did have to go underground and their, their school, their, their place was destroyed in this lifetime. Um, and then they had to escape and go on the run. That's right. Oh, very yeah. fascinating. I love the validation, the confirmation. I mean, we're on two different continents, two different sides of the world. We are. And our clients are experiencing um, the same things. That's right. right. And and I think it's nice to hear these stories because, you know, there are so many people who, you know, with whom Christianity has given a lot of comfort to. But then at the same time, there are also a few people that... Christianity didn't quite resonate with them for one reason or another. And, you know, and I think it's, and, but they've been this silent, you know, they couldn't quite voice it out. And so the people who read my books talk about how it validates what their intuition have always said, you know, it sort of spoke to them and their, I don't know what you want to call it, maybe inner knowledge about Christianity. So yeah. Well, the way that Christianity is done by many, at least here in the United States, I, of course I can't speak to any other place, but um, very judgmental, very focused on hell, very focused on even yoga will uh, cause you to go to hell, Tai Chi, martial arts, meditation, wow. all bad things that um, you know you should be punished for so very judgmental very hierarchical very patriarchal very shame-based and getting so far away from the teachings yeah so it feels like um, this is a much more positive story and very more truthful to his actual teachings yeah it was it it kept well, you know, I, I feel like it kept to the authenticity of, authentic, yeah, kept to the authenticity of him and his teachings and what he was trying to portray, you know, was we're all divine and it's all about the love. And, and if we can see, if you and I are divine, right, then there's only love between us. Absolutely. You know, even if we disagree about other things, it doesn't matter, you know, it, there's love. So now, um, 
you know, it said that Jesus never intended to start a church. Yes. And so can you validate that from your work? Yeah. Jesus, from, from the work that I had done, um, he was an Essene and he was a, a, a Nazarene, which is a priest of the Essene. And what, if you, if you look at the Essenes, they don't have a church. They basically have a way of life. And that is why it's called the way. I don't know. Have you heard of that? The way? No, really. Tell me more. Oh, okay. So when they, when they talk about their teachings, they're always talking about the way, right? And, um, and what I've recently come to realize is the way is actually a way of life, of embodying the light and embodying oneness and seeing the divine consciousness within and therefore sending the love out. Now, saying all this, you know, it's a lot easier said than done as it were, (laughs) because it is a, it's a big change to how, you know, a lot of people, especially 2000 years ago were taught and, and were conditioned to be. Right. Um, But the Essenes were, um, you know, all the Essenes sort of moved out of the main cities and they lived in, in caves and they renounced everything. They renounced their wealth. They renounced family if if need be in order to embody this way of being and because they didn't have any desires they basically could go in and bring out the divine consciousness and so when he was teaching you know they they sort of um uh loved that way of teaching so it's interesting as well because uh, with James, the brother of Jesus, because what I did in the regressions was I investigated the different, um, ri- I'll call them rituals. So, you know, baptism, for example. Mm-hmm. And so what was, um, when James, the brother of Jesus, talks about baptism, he talks about bringing the love of God into the person. When Mary Magdalene talks about the baptism, or Tamar, her daughter, um, they talk about bringing the light of oneness into the water and sort of bringing the light of oneness onto the person. Mm. And the water is just a, a representation of that. When Paul talked about baptism, he talked about washing away the previous sins and so you can move forward, you know, in the way of of Christ. And so you had all these different interpretations of baptism, but Jesus's way of baptism, because Jesus was with Tamar when she talked about, you know, the baptism was about bringing light of oneness into our being and just joining in with oneness. And isn't that beautiful? (laughs) Amazing. And um, yeah, <laughs> and uh, yeah. So it has been changed, but it's it's not about judgment. It's no. it's, it's I not. I don't think it really, truly ever has been. So I just, it's baffling to me how that became part of Christianity. Is that judgment, right? That's right. 
I did regress when I when I was regressing Paul the evangelist I did ask him to talk a lot about sin because um, you know there's a lot about a lot of talk about sin in in mainstream narrative and and he did start to talk about it the way he talked about it in his life as Paul was very different to when he actually died and left the body and you know you had the talk in the realms of light was also very very different because he did acknowledge that they'd spent too much time on the sin as opposed to the love right that and that's kind of a radical notion today yeah of talking about the love that is fascinating um i'm absolutely just enjoying this conversation this book this opens up so many different things in christianity uh, i do want to talk a bit about what you have going on your your various offerings for classes you're just at the end of this book divine consciousness um you talk about oh my gosh um where is it you're empowering divine feminine online course can you can you tell us about that yeah, I can. So I was totally inspired to do the Empowering Divine Feminine online course as I was writing the Magdalene Lineage because I realized that there were so many aspects of the Magdalene Lineage where she really brought in the divine feminine aspects that unfortunately is um, has been lost here, you know. So yeah. what I did was I took her some of her teachings. I didn't go, you know, obviously it was it's a little different, right? Because I focused predominantly on, on the divine feminine when I was doing the course. And I also brought in, um, there is a, a, a tantric tradition called non-dual tantra, where you basically sort of move away from duality and, and move towards oneness. And they talk a lot about the divine feminine and the sacred masculine. And basically the concept there is that you, you know, it's diff if you have only one without the other, there is an imbalance. Yes. So right now we have an opportunity to bring into balance both the divine feminine and the sacred masculine. And the reason for this is, um, you know, I think I, I mentioned that I, I grew up a Hindu and one of the biggest deities, you know, that I grew up with were Shakti. And, her, and Shiva, and so Shiva is the the is a is a is one of the three I don't know main or king gods of right. the Hindu tradition, right. and Shakti is his consort. But Shiva is Shakti in Sanskrit means energy, and Shiva is structure. So the sacred masculine is structure, and the divine feminine is energy that moves within the structure. If you have one without the other, you could have either a very empty structure with no life, no essence within it, or you could have energy that's kind of just going all over the place like a wildfire right. with no intent. So we need both to bring that forth. And the course basically looks at the different facets of divine feminine attributes. So for example, 
you know, in, in the patriarchal world we've been living in, and this applies both to men and women, um, you know, emotions is something that we tend to suppress, especially for men. If a man cries, they're not manly enough, right? So that's an example. But if you suppress that, you're suppressing a divine feminine attribute. And in some cultures, even for women, you know, they will say, oh, you can't be angry. You know, you have to maintain the peace, maintain the peace. Don't be angry, you know, but if you don't let that energy flow, it's part of suppressing it. Intuition is a divine feminine attribute. Rationality is a sacred masculine attribute. But, you know, in the world we live in, especially in the corporate world, you know, if you go to your boss and you go, oh, my intuition says that this is not the best path forward. <laughs> your boss is immediately going to give you a funny look and then say, what have you got to back that up? Right? Right, exactly. Right. So, you know, irrationality is prized. So a lot of people suppress their intuition and that's a divine feminine attribute. So I go through all these different divine feminine attributes and I give, um, and there's a workbook and give exercises on how to, to healthily embrace and embody it in balance with the sacred masculine attributes. And um, so that's basically what that course is about, because that was what Mary Magdalene and Jesus was. They were, you know, beautifully balanced. Beautifully balanced. Oh, wonderful. And then you also teach this advanced vibrational technique in a new plane. That's right. So this is, um, this I'm very excited about um, because we are going through a big change in consciousness right now. I don't know how much you want me to go into introducing that. We sure can go into it. We've got all the time in the world if you do. Okay. So basically, um, you know, we are going through a, a change in consciousness. If we look at it from an astrological perspective, we are now moving from the age of Pisces to the age of Aquarius. The last time there was a change in consciousness was... 2,000 years ago, during the time of Jesus, they were moving from the age of Aries to the age of Pisces. And so every time there's a change of consciousness, it's almost like a complete breakdown of the collective consciousness. It's a change of a complete, you know, belief systems, your cultural conditioning. It's a breakdown of that. And so as 2,000 years ago, there was you know, geopolitical upheaval, um, you know, where Romans were occupying Judea. You had socioeconomic upheaval where you had more taxpayers coming in and people were really thinking about money and and materialism. And then you also had a change in, and that's what Jesus's one of his roles was at that time, was to bring a completely new way of looking at the world and being in the world to shift, you know, as the, the old consciousness was dropping, so people could actually embrace a new consciousness. Right. And the same thing is happening at this time. There is geopolitical upheaval all over the world. There is socioeconomic disturbances happening all over the world. And people are really starting to, you know, the, the polarization you know, the, the extreme polarization mm-hmm. is bringing forth 
quite a lot of things for everyone to see. Now, whether or not they agree with it is is another matter altogether, but they're seeing it. It's almost like the world is is going through this huge, like the earth is going through a big spring cleaning. And, you know, it's about getting rid of what we don't resonate with and moving into a new home, as it were. Exactly. Yes. And our belief system is challenged. And and so what we do in the course is we talk about how we can move through these times of change into the new consciousness, how we can transition with peace and calm. That's the first thing, because it is, you know, a lot of people are scared and frightened and angry by what's happening. But the other thing as well is as we move to the new consciousness, the you know, it's brand spanking new and it's clean and it's clear and we, it's a different way of being. And it's a different way of using energy because it's such clean energy and it's such high vibration energy that we can incorporate it in, in our daily lives. And so we also teach um, uh, the people who attend this course how to use this energy in a different way but because it's also very high vibration and, you know, it's sort of coming through into people, it sort of exacerbates whatever it is you feel inside. So if you're feeling fear, if you're feeling anger, you know, that's just going to intensify. If you're feeling joy and calm, like that's going to intensify. So we go through a period of where we actually talk about how to maintain um, a very centered approach when we're bringing this energy in and a centered way of being as we move and live in the new consciousness. Oh, so it's just tips and techniques. And techniques to, to move into the new vibrational plane that we're finding ourselves in these days. And then lastly, you're a trainer with the Past Life Regression Academy. I am. So, um, things. pardon? You do a lot of things. I do. <laughs> <laughs> and so um tell us about the past the, the past life regression academy okay so the past life regression academy was started by a gentleman called andy tomlinson andy tomlinson is a psychotherapist but he also went to study under roger wolga and um he then decided and he also studied with michael newton for the between lives, life between lives work. And so he decided to start his academy where he combined everything that, you know, his psychotherapeutic techniques with the past life techniques and also life between life techniques, as well as uh, energy work and spirit release work. So past life regression academy was the academy that I trained with um, in Singapore when I was living there. Uh, a little bit more than 10 years ago, goodness, time flies. And um, so he was my trainer and then he married me. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I married my teacher. <laughs> and then... <laughs> no. We make movies about that. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> but I tease him and I say, you know, not only did you get my fees, you got me as well. I mean, how shrewd is this man? <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> So we're still talking about that. <laughs> well, you get all of his teachings for free. 
<laughs> I do. Exactly. Exactly right. No. <laughs> um, and so when I moved to the UK, so I married him and I moved to the UK. Um, I, I sort of uh, wanted to try out training. So I wanted to train people in the Past Life Regression Academy, which I did. And um, so I've trained people both in past life work and life between lives work or between life spiritual regression work. That's how we call it um, in Australia, in the US and in the UK. But because of these books, I've sort of stopped the past life training and I only focus on the between lives training at the moment. Exciting. Why would somebody want to do between lives work? Oh my goodness, because I think it is just a, 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 an extrapolation of your past life. So the way we do it is that, um, you know, there are two ways, there are two reasons why someone would come to us as a therapist for past lives. The first reason is past life tourism. That's what I call it, where, <laughs> where you go and visit different past lives. And, you know, it's, a, it's fun and it's exciting and, you know, all that. But the second reason is for regression therapy, and that's trauma work. So if you're having a particular challenge in your current life, you know, the source of the trauma could be in your past life or could be, you know, and, and then it could be brought forward into your current life. So that's why people come for, you know, past life work or regression therapy work. Between lives is, I love between lives so much because you can go to the space between your last past life and your current life. And in this space, we find out information like what your life purpose is, what your soul contract is with significant people. We find out information like, um, so if you've had, say, for example, in your incarnation, a, a tough relationship with your mother, we find out what is the soul lesson and the soul contract is with that. We find your soul group. But not only that, we can find things like your, your, your soul work, you know, like what is your soul work? And, you know, the most phenomenal, fascinating information comes from between live session. But more importantly, what we're finding out more and more now, and this is where we sort of um, have added to what, you know, Michael Newton has done. And this is only because times have changed from, you know, the work that he did and his work is phenomenal, but times are changing. We're moving into the new consciousness. And what we're finding is we get souls of different resonance incarnating in human bodies to help with the shift in consciousness. And so they are not comfortable with the resonance of the earth. And when they come, you know, as people, they feel like they're, um, they don't belong. They feel like uh, things are not working out for them. They feel like um, they want to go home all the time, like they want to commit suicide quite a lot. And what we find found out is when you take them to a, their between life state, you take them to a diff, you know, where they come from, to their resonance you know, the, the, the place that is in resonance with them. And we find out their mission for coming onto earth for this period. And when they get that insight, it just 
makes them feel more at ease for why they are here. And it just brings a lot of comfort to them. But also with, with you know, the soul, the people, I call it, say, human resonance or earth resonance, they too get a lot of comfort if they find out their life purpose. It gives them a much deeper spiritual insight to their being, to who they are, and it connects them to their authenticity without the ego bodies, without the mental body, without the emotional body. It just connects them to their divine self. And, and to me, it's just, um, it's such a profound experience. Absolutely. Oh, this is fascinating. Those, all the stuff that you do is fascinating. Your, your book is so interesting. Thank you, wait Christine. Wait to read the other ones as well. Yeah. <laughs> I can't wait to read this. Um, is there anything that we haven't covered that you think is important to mention? I think the only thing I'd like to mention to you know your viewers and your listeners, especially as we're moving through this time, is to just, um, you know, bear in mind that we are going to a new home. You know, we're going to a, I think the, the, the verbiage that people use um, a lot is going, moving from a 3D reality to a 5D reality. I don't quite like saying that. I like saying to a new consciousness, right? And if we can sort of, and again, easier said than done, but if we can detach from what's happening in the world emotionally and and through belief system and if we can just watch it but start creating the reality you want to live in through your your intention and through the emotion then i think that would hopefully bring about quite a lot of peace as we move through this change that's beautiful beautiful Well, Rina uh, Kumarasingham, thank you so much for joining me today. This has been a great conversation. I'd love to have you back. In the oh, future. I'd love to be back. Yeah. Oh, that'd be wonderful. Well, super. Yeah. Well, let's don't say goodbye. Let's say to be continued. To be continued, yes. <laughs> well, until next time, friends. Thank you so much for having me, Christy. I really appreciated it. Thank you. It means a lot. Radiate Wellness is a community of holistic and alternative healers and consultants based in the Kansas City area dedicated to helping you create spiritual, energetic, and physical well-being. To learn more about our practitioners, services, classes, and events, or to schedule an appointment, visit us at radiatewellnesscommunity.com. Are you ready to ignite your best life and illuminate the world? I'm Stephanie James. I'm a motivational speaker, transformation coach, and psychotherapist. And what lights me up is helping people just like you create the greatest versions of themselves. On my podcast, Igniting the Spark, I will help you ignite your joy and reach new heights in your personal and professional life. Join me for some incredible conversations with authors, spiritual teachers, and other influential thought leaders 
to help guide you on your way. If you are ready to stop playing small, join me for Igniting the Spark on the mindbodyspirit.fm network or wherever you get your podcasts and ignite your best life.